episode 138 of the Mindset Game podcast, and I'm your host, James Robert. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach, and owner of James Robert Fitness. Why not check out some of my free content by going over to my website, fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Each week on the Mindset Game podcast, we bring you an inspirational athlete, message or expert talking about human optimization to teach you how to change the perception of your mindset and to become 1% better. Make sure to share this with your friends on your Instagram story, on Twitter, on Facebook. They can find this episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere that they listen to podcasts by searching for Mindset Game Podcast. Without further ado, let's get into today's show. Today's show, I've got Robert Broughton. Robert is a mental coach for elite athletes, a hypnotherapist, and a keynote speaker. So welcome on to the show, Robert. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. So before we delve into today's topic, Robert, for the obviously the listeners that don't know about a lot about you, how did you kind of come up... Um, to kind of want to get into that field of being a mental coach with elite athletes. Were you an athlete growing up yourself? Uh, no, I wasn't. I was more of a uh, wannabe rock star musician when I was growing up. That was Those were my role models, and that's kind of what I wanted to be. Uh, but I can remember all the way back when I was a kid, uh, always being fascinated with how the mind works and really understanding you know, what, what makes us do what we do, what, where do our emotions come from? Why do, why do I behave differently than some of my friends? Uh, why do they behave differently than me? You know, and I've always been interested in it. And it, and my path is, is a little different. I, you know, I'm not an athlete, uh, although I'm very active and athletic, uh, I didn't play a high level of sports. Uh, and I was in business for a long time in my early adult years. So just going through uh, business training, you know, I stumbled upon hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic programming and those sort of things that really helped me realize that, wow, you know, this is something that I'm interested in. This helps me get an idea of where my thoughts are coming from, where my behaviors are generated, why I have some of these trapped emotions that I didn't really even understand at the time. And then from there, I, I put myself through school because I really wanted to, you know, get a hold of my own you know, the old, my, the, I wanted to get a hold of the horses that were inside of my head. I want to want to corral them, so to speak. So when I did that, and I was able to, you know, uh, remove some of my limiting beliefs, remove some of my my past pain, it sort of opened up the world to me, and it made me realize that wow, I can. This is my life, and I can really become and create the life that I want. So I sat down uh, with a lot of excitement and thought. You know, what am, what am I good at? What do I like? What industry do I like? Uh, who do I want to work with? And ask myself a whole bunch of questions. And really, I, I found that uh, there's something about sports. I'm such a huge sports nut to begin with. But there's something about sports and athletes that I it never feels like work for me. Uh, I worked with a pro hockey team here in the sales department and uh, just selling tickets and just being in that environment, being in the hockey rink every day. Uh, got, it never felt like work. I was the first one there, the last one to leave. I spent 18 hours there every day. Uh, I loved it. Um, it my my ex-wife did it, but I, I certainly did. And and from there, I just knew that okay, this is my passion. You know, this is you know, I have knowledge now about how to 
rewire our minds, how to release emotions, how to reprogram our own consciousness and sub, our, our own subconscious and, and align that with our conscious thoughts. And I thought this is something that I could teach others to enhance their lives. And in my world, you know, I wanted to help athletes because I, I know a, a lot of them. Um, I, I like to be in that environment. And I see that they go through the same struggles that I went through. And I thought, wow, if I can provide them with some help, that would be a great, great way to live the rest of my life. And so that's, that's what I did. So I, I built it, you know, from, from that. And would you say, uh, Robert, that this, obviously you're talking about the world you came from, from high level business. There's definitely a rapport between that level of business and elite level sport. It's, they've got to a certain extent similar stresses. Did you did you kind of kind of see that as the rapport would would being able to working in that environment previously and now working yeah. in the environment you do now? Yeah, absolutely. The twenty plus years that I spent in business, uh, from knocking on doors to being an upper level upper level upper upper sorry upper level manager, um, there's a lot of the similarities speaking with athletes, you need to know how to get their trust. You need to understand language. You need to understand behaviors and personalities, just like in sales or in management, when you're running a team, you know, you, uh, there's a lot of similarities there. And I feel like those years in business for me really helped hone my, uh, my, my personal skills, uh, speaking with people, understanding language, understanding behaviors, understanding tone, uh, knowing how to match and mirror others, uh, that was very valuable, valuable to me because now when I do my sessions, it's, it's, it's those same things. It's understanding their body language, their tone, um, you know, seeing when they get flushed when you're onto something is, is, is a skill that maybe not everybody has. Uh, I've developed it through my time in sales and in business. So yeah, it's very transferable. But out of interest, Robert, why do certain personality traits, now this might be a little bit of a generalization, more so in sport, want to kind of um, portray their fears and emotion in a different way or hide them completely? Well, I think that's common with everybody. I think everybody who has a, a fear of really putting themselves out there, whether it's in business or in sport, um, I mean, it's all the same stuff. We're, at the end of the day, it doesn't to me, it doesn't really matter what craft we're trying to hone and what what environment that we live in, uh, we're all human and we all have human emotions and we all, we all sort of operate at the same, in the same ways. So, you know, when I was running a sales team or, uh, working with, working with clients, um, you know, solving their problems, solving their need, uh, building rapport with them, earning their trust, earning their respect. It's the same thing in working with athletes. They need to trust who I am. I need to be able to show them that they can speak with me about some of their fears, about some of their their issues, and they have to have the trust in order to do that. So building rapport with anybody is huge when you really want to get deep and talk about you know, some, some stuff that's really holding you back. You're not just going to let that out to any stranger on the street. But initially, was it very difficult for uh, an, an elite athlete to be able to have that rapport and kind of trust with you because you, you've not been at that level of competition that they're partaking, partaking in right now? 
No, no, for me, it wasn't a challenge at all. I didn't feel like it was a, a hurdle uh, whatsoever. I think once you understand how to match and mirror other people's personalities and you can speak at their level, even though I've never played, you know, at a high level of hockey or a high level of golf uh, or any of those sports, um, you know, that's their craft. That's, you know, and I have my craft. And at the end of the day where I'm not telling them how to take a better slap shot or to be a better hockey player, I'm, I'm helping them become a better human being. And I'm helping them uh, better manage their thoughts and their emotions and their behaviors. So at that level, uh, you know, we're all the same. And do, and do you think this is something that this might be your own opinion now? Do you think athletes kind of lose sight of that? They kind of think of themselves as... It's a blanket statement a little bit because some are, I don't perceive this of myself, but see themselves as they have to follow this stereotype of what is perceived of them. You are quote unquote to a certain extent a robot. You you don't have a, you don't have feelings. You you don't we don't want to see the emotional side of you, the human of you. You you do your craft. You're good at this. Uh, what happens outside of the arena is to a certain extent some people don't want to know about but then you're kind of dehumanizing that individual well that's very true and, and that is sort of a, a blanket um stereotype for athletes but i think that the athletes that are out there that recognize that they're that they need some help um whatever that might be whatever degree that that might be at when they reach out they they want to change they they're looking for it so i'm not I'm not working with anybody who doesn't want to be worked with. So therefore, those those stereotypical athletes that you described, uh, I don't really work with them because they're not at the level yet where they really want to get deep with their thoughts and get deep with with what's holding them back. And sometimes that's you know that's their fear in the way or that's their ego in the way, uh, and that's okay. Eventually, you know, hopefully they they come around when when life is not giving them what they want and they're not getting where they want to be. Uh, I think, you know, as, as we get older, all of us, as we become adults and older adults and mature adults, we realize that, wow, I need to put my ego aside. I need to put that away. And I really need to get real with somebody because I'm, I'm spinning in circles here. And so the, the athletes that I work with are very open to, to opening up to me. And once they feel comfortable with me, uh, we build an amazing relationship and it's, it's really, you know, part of the, one of the best parts of my job is to build those relationships and to see, you know, these big, strong, athletic uh, men and women, you know, um, tell you what's bothering them. And, and a lot of the times it's, you know, it's, they make it more of a bigger deal than it really is. And once they realize that, oh, really, it was that that was holding me back. Wow. I wish I would have talked about this a long time ago. You know, a lot of them, a lot of them will admit that. But which is the worst of the two evil, e evils now, uh, Robert? Is it the fear, fear itself, and this will transpose in, in different actual, um, the ways you perceive it, or actually somebody's ego? Yeah, I, I mean, it, there's, I think everybody deals with some sort of fear, and maybe their ego is covering up, covering up their fear. That's what I find a lot. They have an ego and they have a persona. They have an image that they're trying to portray or that they're portraying because they are fearful of, of something going on in their own life or they're afraid to fail. So they're afraid to be judged. Um, 
you know, or they believe that they have to have this certain, this certain image. Uh, it really all boils down to, to fear. But and we touched upon this off air as well, didn't we? In terms of, and I'll give my example because it's a little bit easier. Uh, I had a fear of failure as, gosh, I'm going to say a preteen teenager. So what I wouldn't, what I would do was instead of kind of taking the challenge head on, I would probably be more uh, resolute and say, well, let's not try at all. But, and I, t- I asked you the question off air, well, how do I go from that extreme to being successful? Um, well, in, in my eyes, it, it probably when I'd finished and retired, it wasn't as successful as I w- would have liked, but that's maybe trying to attain to a certain extent perfection, getting this, this elusive medal or gold medal that every athlete craves i think it's unrealistic to achieve to achieve that because if everybody could attain it it would lose some of its prestige and be a little bit pointless but how do i get from that to be able to get to let alone one paralympics but two how is it is shifting mindset that i've had subconsciously and just not thought about it until probably we're in the present moment well, yeah, that's, that's it. And, and you really need to be mindful, right? And, and a lot of the times, uh, if you're afraid of something, if you're afraid of letting down your role models, if you're afraid of disappointing your family, if you're afraid of, of those sorts of things, you're going to cover that up with ego. You're going to cover that up with just pushing through it and, and just trying to be the, you know, the people that you see on TV or the, the medal winners that you, that you admire. You're just trying to be like them. But, you know, so you have to get real with yourself. That's really where it comes down to. And to sit down and to, to be quiet and to listen to your thoughts and to really be honest with yourself and to understand where those fears might be coming from and then and reaching out and getting help. Uh, we all need help. We can't do all of this by ourselves, especially when we're, when we're elite athletes and we're trying to, like you said, trying to achieve something that it's not very easy to do. It's extremely, extremely difficult to win a gold medal. It's extremely difficult to make the national team. So you, you got to pull out all the stops, just like you do in your performance. When you're giving it all, you got to, you got to give it all mentally and you got to prepare mentally well before you're ready to enter into that arena of sport, meaning that you got to get serious with yourself. And, and I find that until you do that, and when you realize that, okay, um, my mental game is just as important as my skill and my mental game is just as important as my, uh, my strength and my fitness and my endurance, uh, you got to round it out, right? And a lot of athletes will just work on their skills and they'll just grind it out in the gym and they'll just grind out, you know, their endurance and they'll just try to get better that way. But there's, it's a, it, that's, there's, a, it's a three legged stool it's not just a two-legged stool right so if you don't have the mind set component in place uh, it's going to be very difficult to be successful and it's going to be very difficult to achieve your highest level and be happy with it because a lot of you know as you know probably there's a lot of athletes out there that um, work very hard do all of the things that they think they, they that they should be doing and are disappointed when they get to the peak of their ability and then realize that, wow, maybe it was my mental side that I wasn't honest with myself with, 
that I needed to work on. And then that would have taken me another notch up. And then where could I have gotten? And you never want regret. So, you know, these are conversations that I have with all my athletes to say, you know, let's, I'm not telling you how to be a better athlete. I'm telling you how to manage your mindset, right? That's, that's what we're working on here. So if they're honest with me, I could really help guide them in the right way and build good foundations and mental fabrics to be their best, whatever, however, you know, whatever their best is and however far that's going to take them, they're going to be happy with that. Well, I definitely agree with that sentiment, Rob, because I think we talk, you talk about it at the elite level, it's been that 1% margin of gain. Okay, it could be slightly more than that because it depends on how much importance you put on it. But I, I would definitely agree with, with you in terms of, okay, there's no resent, there's no resentment now to what I achieved. Okay, I think maybe when I retired, you're thinking, well, what if I'd have done this? What if I'd have done that differently? But I can't change the past. No, it's 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 set in stone. It's now okay. I think my definition of success has definitely changed from what we now five years removed than what it was back then. It, okay, it was that, that top of the pyramid, I want to get a gold medal, that would be success. Now, it's looking at look, all the accolades that I was able to achieve. That is success. It's, it's it's something something ah it is something somebody else was not able to achieve and it makes me unique. Um, it what's what, what kind of builds character to myself and and being being able to be able to be somewhat resolute and happy with okay yes yeah you you didn't quote unquote reach the reach the pinnacle of sporting success, but I'm okay with that. Whereas maybe what you said, talk about the mental aspect of maybe what I've not come to terms with, even to this day, is maybe retirement more so. It's like because it was so influential and a big part of my life for what we over a decade, maybe I didn't make a big deal about it in terms of how I walked away and it's like, well, I'll be okay. Maybe. That is a subconscious issue. Okay, yes, maybe you're not okay. Because there is at times a little bit of empathy, a little bit of jealousy. Okay, I wish I was in in your in your shoes, be it at, um, in Rio in, in 2016, um, in the Commonwealth Games in Australia, thinking, okay, oh, yeah, Jim, you, you, I, I've got to come to terms with I made the decision to leave. Nobody else, so to speak, pushed me out the door. So you've got to a little bit take uh, onus of, of the um, situation. And I don't say I've passed the buck a little bit. Maybe, maybe a little bit. I have to say, well, yes, I would like to be in your position. Um, I maybe if I'm honest with myself and to the listeners, yeah, there's a little bit of sour grapes with 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 other athletes that I knew, uh, showing around the the like behind the scenes of the village. You're thinking, oh, four years ago I'd have been there myself. Thinking, oh, it looks nice. However, I know to a certain extent, day to the day to day struggles that you've gone through to get there, and I I know speaking to kids when I've gone into schools in the past. People say, "Oh, why? Why have you? Why have you walked away?" Because I know what day in day out training looks like. 
you you probably you you see the finished article, so to speak, be it the Olympics and Paralympics. You right. see people at their peak if they've got it right. Everything mentally, physically, uh, what's the other one? Uh, everything is kind of in tuned. They'll be at the, they'll be at well, we're going to put it in a percentage at hundred percent. They're top of the game. They're ready to go. Whereas you don't see the ups and downs of the winter and all the struggles to get there, whereas I have. So yeah. I, I kind of put it to one people. Okay, and this was before Rio, I think about 2013. Okay, you do the training with me, by all means, I will, I will come out of retirement and try and make it. Okay, they didn't do it, but I kind of know what, I know what I'm signing up to, you don't. So I think it comes down to that that essence. I think it's being all right with yourself and kind of go, kind of going to. And I come to my point, Robert. I think if I answer your question that you asked, I probably didn't spend enough time on the mental side of of the sport. And I and I think it has come a long way in gosh, what we five years since I retired. And I can kind of see um, the positives of it, and probably in hindsight, I did sports psychology at university, thinking, "Well, you didn't utilize it to the best of your ability." <laughs> okay, I did utilize it with lecturers, but maybe I could have gone out of my way to learn more about meditation um, and kind of beyond that. I know lots of people listening to it will have heard of mindfulness and meditation right. now because it's kind of in in the mainstream now but you and I will know visualization you go back like when the first I would have heard about it about 2004 I first did it and, and I was back in I was in the swimming program back then and we had to visualize what the swimming pool was going to look like in Beijing I couldn't do yeah. it I couldn't do it yeah. to, to save my life uh, I think and if I'm being honest with all of you guys uh I think, what did I do? I think I almost fell asleep because it, I couldn't I couldn't do it. And it was very frustrating, you think, it, well, or, or I wasn't buying into it fully because you're thinking, well, how can you vi visualize a building that doesn't even exist yet? Well, I'm really glad that you said that because, and there's so many good things that you said in, in, your, in your comments there. Um, you know, the hardest work, just going back to the beginning there, the hardest work is the work that you do alone, right? You're talking about all the training and all the hours that you put in. That's very difficult. And you have to mentally be ready to do that, to, to get up in the early mornings and to push your body over and over again past the, the, the line that it was currently at yesterday and the week and, and the week before and the month before and, and keep trying to get better. That takes a lot of mental uh, fortitude. You know, that takes a lot of mental strength. So the hardest, you know, it, it's hard to sit in silence and to be real with yourself. And I find that a lot of athletes don't do that. And like, my, you know, to my point earlier, there's your craft, there's your health and your fitness, and then there's your mental game. And a lot of people miss the mental side of it. And it's unfortunate. And, and the way that it works is, you know, I, I work with a bunch of athletes and I, I in different age groups, and I see it that. You know, especially here in Canada where hockey is, is the number one sport and everybody plays hockey. So there's, there's guys, there's, there's kids out there that are, well, 
boys and girls that are seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old, and they're phenomenal hockey players. They've got the hockey sense. They've got the, the, the mind of a hockey player already. They've watched so much of it. They hear about it. They see it on social media. They understand the game way more than I did when I played. You know, I just had trouble learning the rules. So now these guys are learning strategy and, and, and breakouts and philosophies and body positioning at such an advanced level that we didn't when we were kids. So their skill gets, you know, they work on it every day out in the pond, out at the rink. They're working on it. Their health and their fitness, they're, they're eating better. Um, their parents are feeding them better foods. So they're getting stronger. They're in the gym. There's, there's so many more opportunities now for young athletes to get into the gym and really work out their body. Uh, but the last thing, so by the time they might be 15, 16 years old, they're phenomenal. They've got great fitness. They're, they're beasts of athletes. They are extremely skillful and knowledgeable in their sport. But the last thing to come along is the mindset because our brains aren't really fully developed. Well, they say until 18, but I don't think mine, <laughs> if I look at my own personal experience, I don't think mine was really fully developed till I was well into my late 20s before I really you know, started to figure stuff out and, and, and think properly. So you know, it's, it's always the last thing that comes along. And I see that with a lot of athletes. They're 16, 17, 18 years old. And their mind isn't in the right spot yet because it hasn't been able to develop fully. And when you talk about doing, you know, visualization, uh, I don't, I don't like that word because it, it really gives a bad connotation. It just, it just really says that you just have to see pictures. But when you visualize or mentally rehearse, like I call it, some, some, other mental coaches will call it mental imagery, and there's a whole bunch of different terms for it. I like mental rehearsal because you're really mentally rehearsing how you want to perform, how you want to behave, what kind of athlete you want to be in your sport and out of your sport. And when I work with my athletes, I explain to them, you know, it's not just seeing a picture and, and imagining it and, you know, doing a little meditation and getting into that state. I teach them about the function of our unconscious mind, because that's really what we're affecting. So if you can front load or if you can program your unconscious for that skill, for that behavior, for that positive self-talk that you're going to have when you have adversity, and not only do you see it, but you feel it and you live it and you, you teach them that what you're doing, you know, what is going on inside of your head when you're doing all of that, that's where all of that you know, that's, that's what's really happening when you can see it and you can feel it. You're tricking your mind and your body to believe that you're in, ex, in an experience that you haven't actually had yet. So you're front loading it. So if you can imagine if you're in the championship game or you're in the final event of the season and it's for the championship, maybe you're a swimmer or a runner, you don't want to be thinking about how to run or how to swim when you get there, right? You, you've trained your body at the unconscious level to just behave and do what you know how to do. Well, mental imagery is the same thing. It's, it's, it's getting those neurons all fired up. It's getting that aligned with your body. It's getting what you see in your head aligned with how you feel in your body and really creating that experience ahead of the experience. And when athletes understand that philosophy and that it's not philosophy, when they understand that concept and understand that that's what we're doing, that's really how we're 
reprogramming, rewiring, front loading our minds, then all of a sudden it doesn't become woo woo. Now all of a sudden they're not sitting there falling asleep when they meditate because they, they know that they know what they're supposed to be doing inside their heads. So there's, there's a lot that goes along to it. And I think when you really understand, just like when you're in the gym with a trainer, they're talking to you about your muscles. They're, they're, they're explaining to you why you need to do it this way, why you need to exercise this way, why you need to recover this way, because there's a lot of biology going along and that's, what's building your muscle. That's, what's building your fitness. It's the same thing with our mind where we do a mental imagery or mental rehearsals. We need to understand, first of all, what's, what's going on, you know, under the hood, so to speak. So once you get that, then you can really properly rewire old behaviors, emotions. Uh, you know, there's, there's an incredible benefit and it's so important, especially for hockey players that are trying to get to the next level to mentally rehearse body positioning, uh, opening up lanes uh, in the offensive zone if you're a defenseman, um, faking shots, uh, creating that space because everybody is, you know, just as skilled as you are. Everybody is just as fast and as, as big as you are. And if you have a better mindset and you can wire these skills, not just in practice when you're actually there practicing on the ice, but if you can do that at home in silence, on your own, over and over again, you're, you're basically doing the mental reps that is programming and wiring your mind and body just like you are when you're with your coaches, with your teammates, on the ice, at practice. And then that, you know, that's, that translates to every sport. Uh, I know in rugby, you know, the New Zealand All Blacks, they, they have, uh, the last I heard, they had three or four master practitioner neuro-linguistic programming um, coaches there to do these sorts of things with them, to really make them understand that your unconscious mind really is what runs your performance. That's what it is. You're not thinking about how to play when you're on the pitch, when you're on the field, when you're on the ice. It all comes from an unconscious level. So how do you front load that and wire that for the perfect performance that you want, for the perfect behavior? Uh, when you have adversity, you can front load how you're going to respond when you have adversity. Instead of you know being there in the moment and something bad happens and you've never trained for it, you don't know how to handle it, and you crash. Right. So mental imagery and mental rehearsal is is huge. But you need to understand everybody needs to understand what's going on in our head. Why are we why are we doing it? Right. It's not just seeing a couple of pictures and and there's a lot going on, like I said, under the hood, inside your mind. That's that's building those neural networks and and pattering them in so deep into your subconscious that that they're there forever. So it, there's there's a whole lot of science and biology that goes along with with uh with what we do and i think i think where i where i was able to probably attain what you're talking about was probably when i went to university and i was enrolling by that time and kind of moved from development uh level sport to performance and i think it's kind of a shift in mindset now it's like well i have no time now to kind of uh develop and make mistakes i've got to i've got to now perform and deliver. So I think maybe it was that being thrust into um, a new environment, a new challenge. Well, okay, I've never done this before, but my perception of it is 
obviously, like I said, I've got to deliver results. And I, I think it was, um, I think because the program had said to me from the very off, okay, you, you, you are good, but don't worry about the World Championship in 2006. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to that World Championships. So I think it was definite, I think because, oh God, how old I've been, about 19 years old, I think it's that, well, it's not the fear of the unknown, but you kind of uh, are not worried of the, the outcome. Whereas I think as an adult, you kind of are. So I think it's been, to a certain extent, going about the business and kind of doing the best that you can uh, and, 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 and kind of propelling yourself on and, and going from there. And that's a really good point. There's there's so much that goes along with a mental rehearsal, and, and you just touched on another one of one of them is your mind needs details. If you've been in an experience before, if you've been to the Olympics before, if you've been in a gold medal race before, the next time you go, you're going to have a lot more confidence and a lot more details and a lot more security and a lot less anxiety because you've already been there. But what happens if you've never been there before? What happens if this is your first time? Well, the power of a mental rehearsal is that you can create that in your head. Like you said, you didn't know what the pool looked like, but you know what water looks like. You mm -hmm. know what it's like when your head's down and you're swimming and you're doing your stroke. So you don't need to know what the parking lot looks like or what the dressing room looks like. I mean, those things, you know, there's a little bit of unknown there. But, uh, you know, if you can put yourself in that environment and you can see yourself winning and you can feel yourself winning and you can set all of those triggers in your mind and you can have all the details front loaded in your mind, how they're going to feel, what they're going to look like, then you're basically living that experience before it happens. So then you're going to be taking off all that anxiety because you're giving your mind the details. You're giving your mind the specifics that if you don't, it's going to get scared because our, our, you know, it's fight or flight. So everything is, if we've never been there before, we're going to get scared. Bottom line. So we have to be able to front load that so we don't get scared. And that's the difficult part. If we've never been there, well, then how do we do it? Well, you gotta, you got to mentally rehearse it over and over again so that you feel so confident with it. And the little things that you don't know, those will be easy to push through, easier to push through, because you're when you're in your performance and you know what you're capable of doing and you're just focused on that, then, then you know the, the anxiety is going to be reduced. Your confidence is going to go up. And you're going to give a better performance, uh, much better if uh, if you do that than if you don't pr pr prepare and front load your mind ahead of it. So let me ask you this question then, Robert. And um, how is it possible that I was my most relaxed in a Paralympic final, and I'd never been there before? Is it because I had been in a similar scenario at a slightly lower sense would be in a world championship is that why i was able to be to a certain extent that relaxed because i was never before that race relaxed or to the extent to that to that extreme or after it or did you just come back to the fact that i kind of said to the media um our goal as a crew is to make the final and a medal as a bonus Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know specifically in your case, but, you know, a lot of, hmm, I don't want to say it happens by accident, but 
sometimes you don't have somebody say to you, uh, aren't you scared? Aren't, aren't you scared to go in there? Like you've never been there before. And you might think, I never really thought about it. But now that you mention it, yeah, I kind of am. But if you've already developed good self-talk and you've been around a good environment with good coaches and good teammates and you didn't have time to think about the negative, <laughs> then then you're putting yourself in a very good space. And if you're calm and you're relaxed, then I would assume that probably at that point in your life, you were pretty happy and pretty confident and there wasn't a whole lot of a whole lot of things going on in your mind. So you're able to stay relaxed. So you're able to not engage in the hype of the moment. Um, and I don't know if you did any meditation before that, but if you went into it and you were very calm, then, you know, that's, that's a very good place to be. That's where you want to be, but not everybody is like that when they get to those moments. Well, the only meditation I could think of or self-talk and it's probably a habit I had developed through, gosh, even before I was at elite level sport, was obviously the connection with music. So I think subconsciously that connection to a certain type of music to be a motivator. So I don't know. Everybody's yeah. going to have their type of genre that they listen to to be able to relate to that, obviously, with me. Uh, that would be more of the the sense of hip hop and things like that. But obviously, my taste in music has changed from when I was a teenager to now. I think, oh gosh, that music's a bit too extreme. Uh, listen to it in my thirties, but you you if I actually listen to motivational music now, and I can't think of the actual um, gosh, I can think of the the the. The artist would be the script and Will I Am, but I can't think of the, the actual song. Well, music is so powerful. So, I mean, if you get lost in a song, whatever that song may be, whatever it means to you, if it relaxes you, then then you're you're calming your mind. You're staying sort of in the zone. You're keeping your brainwaves lowered. You're not overthinking things. You're not getting. You're not using your thoughts to create anxiety. You're just sort of in the moment. And if you're if you're focused on your goal and what you want to do. And that's in your mind and you're positive about that. And, you know, you're, you're, you're listening to music or you're taking a walk or however you relax. If you can maintain that, then, yeah, you're going to you're going to bring your best for sure. But that's sort of the, you know, there's there's four different levels. And that's the, you know, unconscious competent level where you're doing all the right things, but you don't know how you got there. You don't know how you're doing it, but you did it right. Right. You, you were able to get that that right state of mind but you had no idea how you got there except for maybe knowing that, wow, you know, when I, when I listen to music or if I, if I, if I do a certain routine in the morning, I, I somehow I sort of feel good and I bring my best that day. So you just continue to do those things. It's very common. And out of interest, Robert, what are the other three subconscious levels that you, you, you can attain? Well, I think I learned this back in business and I, and it comes to mastery, you know, when we want to, there's the, so the first level is the unconscious incompetent. You don't even know that you don't know, right? That's the first level. And then there's the the conscious incompetent. So you know that you so you know that you're doing some stuff wrong. Now you know about it. Before you didn't. Now you know. So now you're you're conscious of your incompetence. And I don't mean <laughs> incompetence in a mm. negative way, but you know, you don't have that skill. And then you become the, the conscious competent. So now you know how to do it and you know how to be your best. So you know how to bring your competence. And then it gets to a level of mastery where you're just the unconscious competent. 
So you just do it unconsciously because you've done it so many times. You you knew how to build the right state of mind or the right uh, the right get yourself in the right process or the right state of being to be your best. And it took work, right? That's being the competent conscious or the the the, the conscious competent. And then once you have that mastered and you don't even have to think about it anymore, then you become the unconscious competent. And I'm assuming the most the the more successful the athlete, obviously they're at the top, the the kind of the the peak of of that, and not really thinking about what they have to put in place to be able to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I'll just use an example. For me, I didn't know anything about mindset. I didn't know anything about building rapport when I was in sales or when I was in business management. I just sort of you know, learned through experience and learned through, you know, people telling me how to do things. So at one point in time, I was an unconscious incompetent. I didn't know that I didn't know. I didn't know that I was doing it wrong and I was doing it wrong. And then I got to the point where someone would say to me, well, you know what, Bob, here's, here's, here's what you're doing. And here's how, here's how you can start changing your mindset or here's how you can build rapport better. So then all of a sudden, when I started putting that into practice, then you become the, the conscious, you're aware of it, you're the conscious incompetent. So I know, but I haven't quite mastered it yet. I haven't quite mastered how to build rapport, but I'm conscious of it. So I'm aware of it. So I'm going to start using the things that I've been taught to get good at it. And then I become competent, consciously competent at it. So now that I know, okay, if I match in mirror, if I match tone, if I match body language, if I match words and and specific words, then now that's consciously being competent. And now I'm at a point where I don't really have to think about that much, think about it that much because I've already done it so often. So now it's the unconscious competent. So hopefully that sort of clears it up when I talk about, you know, your competence and competence in anything, you know, building rapport, building your craft, running a business. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. You need to learn. And sometimes we don't know what we don't even know. And my penultimate question for you would be, and I think you might have answered it already, is if people wanted to change their perception of their mindset, first of all, how would they go about it? And then secondly, how can people become 1% better, in your opinion? Well, to change their mindset, I think you have to take a look at every individual has to look at, well, what's going on in their life? What, what isn't working for that person what isn't working for me what what's what's the problem where am i not getting to and then they have to sit down and for me in my world it's all about you know how we've been conditioned when we were young the beliefs that we have um, the model of the world that we have those are the things that usually drive you know 95 percent of our behavior every day is what's already programmed at the unconscious level so if you want to get better and change your mindset, first of all, look at what, what part of your life do you want to change? Is it your craft? Is it your business? Is it uh, health and fitness? Is it your relationships? Is it money? Um, any of those main pillars of our life, take a look and say, well, what's not working? And where am I at? What's my model of the world? And how do I view money? How do I feel about money? Uh, your feelings are a great indication of where you're at. So, you know, that's why mindfulness and meditation is so common now in such such a mainstream because that's really the first, in my mind, it's the first level of understanding 
what's going on inside you, right? And you need to be quiet with yourself so you can so you can sit and ask yourself some questions and realize that okay, well, maybe I have bad money skills because you know my parents or my grandparents had bad money management skills and I kind of learned their behaviors. They didn't teach me how to invest. They didn't teach me how to save uh, because they didn't. So therefore, if I grew up in that environment, that's kind of how I'm going to be. So when you become aware of that, then you can start changing it. So now you become the conscious and competent. Now you're aware that you're doing something wrong. Now that you're aware that you're not doing the right things to get you where you want to be. Right. So as soon as you can start doing that, then you're leveling up, then you're leveling up your knowledge, then you're getting that 1% better. And my final question, Robert, before we wrap up the episode, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Well, that's a good question. There's, there's, there's so much, but I think at, at the very the very first step, like I said, is, is, is what I've just said. Be calm. Look at your life. See what's not working for you. And try to figure out where those behaviors came from, where, where those programs came from. Look back in your family. Look back in your life. Who did you model? Who did you look up to when you were growing up? Odds are those conditions and those behaviors that you're, that you're running now came from came from your family or your environment that you grew up in. And that's really the first step. And then from there, uh, you know, talk to somebody. If it's, it's, if it's really emotional and you've got some emotional trauma or you've got some limiting beliefs about yourself. Uh, I know I had a whole bunch when I was, when I started doing my work, I had to look back and go, okay, well, I can think of, you know, five or six different things off the top of my head that's been bugging me since I was a kid. Those are the things that you want to start working on. And if you don't know how to do them on your own, um, I'm so glad that I had somebody who who introduced me to NLP and to hypnotherapy and said, hey, you know what? There's this course. Maybe you should go to it. You know, this would really help you. And for me, that was the, the first time where I went, okay, I know I have these things inside of me that and I, I don't know how to get rid of them, but I'm aware of them. But I don't know how to I don't know how to fix it. I had to ask somebody. Um I think that's what's so great now about social media is that there's so many people out there that are willing to help you. So many ways to find help. So many ways to find information. And we can't do it on our own. So if there's if so if you ask me for my message, it's about first identify what's bugging you and then be brave and uh, courageous enough to go out and start asking for some help because we all need help. Everybody needs help. And you can't do this on your own. Life is complicated. Our mind, our bodies are complicated. And there's a lot of people out there that have knowledge that that uh, that people need. So once and again, I think I interrupted you. Do carry on. No, no, I was just going to say, so I, I think that's that would be my message is to, to pay attention and find out what's bugging you and then and then go and get some of that help and be brave because it's not as bad as you think. So once again, Robert, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This was fun. Oh, it's a pleasure being all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Robert and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at braincoach204 and at jamesoroberts11 on Twitter and Facebook. 
And again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check that out. The links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsim.com under the category psychology. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you again next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.